There is a video that the staff from my old church in San Francisco have. It's like five, ten seconds long. Um, it's a, they, I was playing the role of MC or, or announcer, similar to what Joanne just did today. Uh, you know, sharing the announcements, talking about and welcoming people to the church. And the very first thing that I did as part of that role is I stepped up to the stage. It's a relatively large church for San Francisco. I stepped up to the stage and I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name is Abe and I'm one of the pastors. And then I stopped. Uh, and trying to correct myself, but at that point, everyone else started to laugh quite and start to cheer. And the reason for this is because at the time when I was up on stage, I was not a pastor, even though I started down that path uh, of introducing myself that way. I was, I was an elder, and to provide some context, the congregation of that church knew my story. They knew that the pastors had come to me on many, many occasions over many years and said, hey, do you feel that you've been called to serve as an elder of our church? And I would always say, nope, not at all. Not even remotely feel called to be an elder. And they would continue to, uh, you know, come to me and say, yeah, I think you're called to be an elder. And eventually I said, okay, I will step into that role. I went through the training. I became an elder. After I became an elder, that question changed to, I think you've been called, I, do you feel that you've been called to be a pastor? And again, I said, no, not at all. I don't feel that calling whatsoever. And so the church knew. They knew that I had been asked on a number of occasions whether I felt being, to be called to being an elder, called to being a pastor. So that little slip of the tongue when I introduced myself to the church it was received with, uh, you know, whether it was a Freudian slip or prophetic, it was received with a lot of joy by the people of the church. Uh, and uh, now, years later, I can honestly sit here and say, hi, my name is Abe, and I am the campus pastor for the Church of the Beloved in Wicker Park. I'm not going to say it in San Francisco, but I will say it in Chicago, because this is where God has called me to be. Now, so here's the thing. I re relay this story because there's this word, calling. Uh, and, I, and I use it interchangeably with the word mission, by the way. But this word calling that is something only used in holy kinds of settings. You don't hear people ask you know, questions about vocation or calling when it comes to non-faith-based jobs. You know, I, I was never asked, do I feel called to be a social worker or, or do I feel called to be a product owner for a software company? Uh, not even do I feel called to be a husband, but Christians. We use this word quite a bit. We use this word, you know, for, for holy things, like do you feel called to be an elder or do you feel called to be a deacon, to plant a church? Do you feel called to, to go on missions? <clears throat> Last week, we, did this, we started this little two-week sermon series, uh, and we're just talking about the vision of our church, Church of the Beloved. Now, let me repeat. Our mission as a church has absolutely not changed. We still exist to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know, who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. That has never changed and will not change. But, you know, one of the things we want to do is we want to live out this mission through two different things. Over the next few years, we've defined our vision for the church. So our vision as a church is to see the gospel transform the beloved of God into spirit-filled disciples by first 
equipping people to have a daily walk with Jesus. And we talked about that last week. And if you missed it, go ahead. It's online. and We have a podcast as well. You can hear that. This week, we're going to look at the second thing that we want to focus on as a vision, which is we want to empower the people of Beloved to live their lives, their mission as Christians. So we want women and the men who are beloved of God because of Christ alone to know God and to discover their calling, their mission. So today I want to focus on what we mean when we say we are called to discover our mission and for the church, for the church of the beloved, to help empower that discovery. You know, and I, I use the word calling and I've interchanged it with the word mission. I think that uh, I need to take a second, take a moment to make sure that uh, I define it for you as I'm using it today so that we're all on the same page because that word is used in a lot of different ways. I mean, if you look at our own usage, we use the term mission for our mission statement. We use the term mission for our calling in life. We use the term mission to go out in overseas on short-term missions or maybe local outreach missions. You know, it's, it's one of those words that can have so many different meanings depending on who you are. You know, a military person, you're going on a tactical mission. Uh, if you're a political person, it might be uh, like a posting to an embassy. Uh, you're being, your next mission post is to uh, Brazil. Um, if you're, another definition that I looked up is like, it could be that you feel this strong ambition. It's my mission in life to own all the Pokemon. I think they're cards. Pokemon, is it cards? I don't know. I don't own any Pokemon, so I have no clue. Anyway, see, Ultimately, there's lots of different definitions that can be used, and so I want to clearly define it for us today and how I'm going to be using it. So for me, right now, I'm defining mission like this. Mission is how God has called us to live while here on earth. It is how we're called to live. So when I say that part of our vision for the church of the beloved is to empower the beloved of God to discover and to live out our mission, what I'm saying is this, that we as a congregation are going to work together to help each and every one of us identify how God has called us to live in Wicker Park, in Chicago, here right now. Now, one thing I'm not defining in mission is this. My definition of mission or calling, it does not include what that mission is because the reality is it is the same for each and every one of us here. Our, the what of mission is written out by Paul. It is to glorify God. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul wrote this. He says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever we think, whatever we say, whatever we sing, whatever we do, every aspect of how we live our lives, simply spoken, God's intent is that it be for his glory. It's the same for all of us. But Paul absolutely acknowledges in this letter to the Corinthians that what that looks like individually, the how, is absolutely different for every single person. In chapter 7, verse 17, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. 
And this is my rule in all the churches. See, Paul here, and if you read prior to and keep on reading through chapter 7, you'll see that he fully understands, Paul understands that the importance and the reality of the diversity in the how we are to live out our mission, it is awesome. It is amazing. We are called to glorify God, but the fun part is how we're called to do it. And so today's passage from Romans, we're going to be looking at two aspects, two verbs in regards to helping us identify our mission, our calling, or, or how we're to live out our lives here on earth, earth as Christians. So first, we are going to first discern for ourselves what that calling is, our mission, and then we are affirming for others what that mission is. Okay? So I want to turn to verse 2 to look at first what it looks like to discern for ourselves our calling. Verse 2, here you see God's call. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are called to discern the will of God. God wants me and wants you to understand how I and you should be living your life while here on earth. And he wants us to get it. He wants us to get what we're, what we're call, how we're supposed to live for him, how we're supposed to live for his glory, what that looks like. And the way that I am, uh, the means by which I'm called to do that, to discern this, is by being transformed by the renewing of my mind, by the Holy Spirit, by allowing the gospel to transform me. By doing this, I allow and I open up my mind to the reality of God's will, to an understanding of what it looks like to live a life according to God's plan. And let me, let me point to something here that Paul is not saying. Okay? What he's not saying when he writes that we are to discern the will of God is he's not pointing to the obvious things. Okay, because ultimately, that word discern, discernment, it implies effort. Effort to understand, effort to perceive something. So in other words, discerning something is much more like finding Waldo than it is like finding your nose. It's ultimately intended to be looking for the deeper things in our lives. So, so when Moses wrote in Exodus, thou shalt not murder. That doesn't require a lot of discerning to figure out what God's saying. Don't murder. Ultimately, what God and Paul is writing here is that there is an aspect of God's will for you and for me that requires effort. Effort to perceive, to discern. And this ability to discern is a gift from God that he provides when we are, one, no longer conformed to this world, and two, when we are transformed to God's world, to his world. So looking at verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Paul is saying ultimately that I need to fully comprehend that the transformative work of the Spirit in my life is going to result in a change, a change of my priorities. As a result of not being conformed to this word, uh, world, I am now under new management. Okay? The original landlords in my life, they are gone. They've moved on. I was thinking about an analogy for this. My wife, Suzette, and I, when we first moved from San Francisco to Chicago, uh, we flew out here in September 2018, and we told our real estate agent we're going to be here. Uh, in, in two days, he took us to 15 different 
homes to look at, which was an extremely tiring two days. And when we first walked into the home that we ended up buying, we walked in, and the very first thing that we were greeted by as we entered into the room was a dining room. And then there's this wall, and then we walk further on into the kitchen, and then a living room. And I mentioned this because as we were walking around, we are like, oh, and we realized this is the home God has led us to. This is the home that we would like to buy. We also said, and we're going to change everything around once we actually buy it. Because you see, for us, Food and fellowship, that's our priority. Those are the things. And so we needed a space to be able to do those things at the same time. So for us, the first thing that we ended up saying and doing is, okay, we've bought this house. We're going to swap it out. The dining room is now right next to the kitchen and the living room is here because we wanted to have the home represent our priorities. That home, once it came under our management, became our home and we modified it based on what we prioritize. And so now as Christians, we come under new management. We are now under the management team of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, that is where our priorities are going to lie now. The priorities that we once had, the ones that were defined by the world, these are no longer going to be our priorities. It's no longer going to be the priority that I advance my career. It's going to be the priority that I advance the gospel. It's no longer going to be the priority that I build up treasures on earth. It's going to be my priority that I build up treasures in heaven. So the second thing is this. We're under new management, which is awesome. We've just got the management team of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which would be an awesome name for a property management company, by the way. Um, anyway, so the Holy Spirit now allows us to be not only not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. The transformative work of the Holy Spirit, it happens when we allow ourselves to be bathed, to be immersed in Scripture. I've said this last week, and I've said it uh, a while ago uh, in another sermon, but I'm going to say it again because the Bible is so important. It's of such utter importance to who we are as Christians and who we are as a church, so I will say it again. The renewal of my mind, the renewal of our minds comes from the reading of Scripture. It comes from the engaging through prayer with God. And as I say that, just another quick plug, Joanne mentioned it. There is a prayer meeting tonight. We'd love for you to join us between 5 and 6 o'clock because we know how important it is. Prayer and the reading of Scripture. I have a friend in San Francisco. Uh, he lives and breathes Disney. I mean, Disney is his thing. He knows every single song of, from every single Disney musical, things that I have never even heard of. And thank God he is actually talented as a musician. Otherwise, this would be a very, very different uh, analogy or illustration. But anyway, he bathes himself. He immerses himself in Disney. So as a result, he can provide Disney-themed responses to every single issue ever to appear in one's life. I, there's, I, you know, if you have, you fail a test, he'll start singing Hakuna Matata from The Lion King. Um, if, if you have to host a dinner party, he'll start singing and playing Be My Guest from Beauty and the Beast. 
you have to find a new roommate. He'll be a man. I, actually, I, I don't know a lot of Disney songs. Maybe that's going to be this. Anyway, he bathes himself in the world of Disney. He is so ensconced in it. So God's call for us is the same. Not to be bathed in the world of Disney, but to be bathed, to be immersed in the world and the word of God. He wants, God wants us to be bathed in Scripture, in prayer, immersing ourselves in His truth. And when we do this, we allow ourselves the opportunity to fully understand and know who God is. And as a result, what He wants us to do, how He wants to live our life glorifying Him. So here's the thing. We are gospel-transformed, spirit-filled, beloved children of God. We understand that we are called to live for God's glory. We, we know that we are not to conform to this world. We understand that we're to be transformed into something new. But, okay, what is it that I'm trying to discern then? What am I trying to figure out? You know, this how is kind of hard to, to, to get. We had uh, friends over from, um, originally from Canada, dentists. Is telling me about this process they have, this assessment tool that they took in college to determine their uh, uh, aptitude for dentistry. So this test tests everything from hand-eye coordination to dexterity to get your finger in their mouth and, and intelligence and all these things. And ultimately, it allows them to determine the likelihood of success or failure, their aptitude to be a dentist, which I found fascinating. Unfortunately, um, there's no such test or tool for, to help Christians figure out how to live lives of holy abandon for the cause of Christ to their best capacity. But looking at this passage, I want to point out three quick things for us to consider as we think about, okay, how are we to live our lives on mission to glorify God here in Wicker Park or beyond wherever God calls us to be? So the first part is this, and I'm going through this fairly fast because there's actually a lot and I want to get it all in there, but the first part is this, we are all part of the body of Christ, absolutely, and we are therefore all essential to each other and to the kingdom, but we are not doing the same things. We are all called to do different things. Let me read to you uh, verse 4 of today's passage. It says this, for as in one body we have many members. And the members do not have all the same function. Skipping down to verse 6, I love this. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. How you have been uniquely skilled to act for the sake of the king of kings is unique to you. You know, Q, Nikhil, Margaret, you have been uniquely skilled to bring us to worship through song and through praise. Pastor David Otua, he has been uniquely skilled to bring us to inspiration of the gospel through dancing 
and sometimes preaching. Um, when we look at the folks like Daniel and Daniel and Daniel, you have been uniquely skilled to inspire us just by sheer numbers of Daniels. Ultimately, we are called here. You have each been given a gift because you are called to glorify God by serving as part of the body of Christ. And these things that you have been gifted, they do require your discernment. You have to work to perceive them so that you can clearly identify them. You need to immerse yourself in Scripture so you can recognize what God intends for you. Because as you bathe yourself in the world and the Word of God, you begin to recognize the giftedness God grants you for His kingdom and His glory. And another thing to consider, when you start trying to discern how you are called to live out your primary mission in life to glorify God, think of this. Your calling and your mission is not for you. Ultimately, it is for those around you. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. There's a little bit more clear representation of this idea in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. <coughs> a few weeks back, I preached on, uh, on fellowship. And I have to say, I am so awed and inspired and encouraged when I see acts of fellowship within the Church of the Beloved here in Wicker Park. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, Marianne and my wife Suzette, they decided that they're going to use their, their giftedness for hospitality. And they went to visit the CHA building behind us, hang out with them for Valentine's Day, just having uh, coffee and tea and chatting, hanging out with Leroy and making sure he wasn't causing any trouble. Ultimately, I, you know, last week we saw a number of people reach out to Tawana to use their giftedness in, in healing and care to comfort her as she mourns the loss of her brother, Darius. We see others in our church who use their giftedness in ministering and creating opportunities of fellowship by great study groups to just gather together to encourage one another, to be with each other. See, we're, we are called to use our giftedness to, to not neglect gathering, to not forget that we are called to stir one another up, as it says in Hebrews. We're called to, to love, to stir each other, encourage each other, and explain to each other how we can show love and do good works, how to be faithful and show fealty or loyalty to our King in heaven. This is what our spiritual calling is. One last thing, and I mentioned this with a little bit of um, trepidation, with a little caution. You know, as you try to discern how you are called to live in this world, your mission to glorify God, one of the things that God may be using to help you discern that is your desire or your passion. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 shows a great example 
of this. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He said, I, I, I know and I believe that God absolutely places on the hearts of those in his body, his children, that there, there are going to be times when uh, we are driven through our passion to do good works for God's glory. You know, there's a term used, uh, holy discontent, to describe this. It's when there's so, so much passion within us that it causes discomfort. It causes angst and even righteous anger when you see something happening or not happening. You know, that holy discontent for you, it might be, you know, seeing these young girls being bought and sold into the sex slave trade. And therefore, you decide, I am going to work with International Justice Mission. I'm going to go to the Philippines with our partner agency because I cannot stand seeing this happen in our world. Your holy discontent might be, you know, against poverty uh, and, the, and starvation that the AIDS pandemic has caused in Africa. And so you said, you know what, I'm going to Zambia. I'm going to go with our partner, Hands at Work, because I cannot stand seeing this horrible thing happening. Whatever your holy discontent might be, whatever your aspirations, your desires, your passion might be, these could be signs that God is placing in your life to tell you where you are called, your how, in your missions, in your act of mission, in your act of calling. Also, it might not be. This is why I come to it with a little bit of caution. Because if you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it talks about how our passions might just be our passions and not God's. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, Unfortunately, oftentimes, broken people, they exchange the glory of God for the mediocrity of men. And sometimes, as a result, God says, no, I want you to act. I want the how of your calling to be against the passions in your life. Let me give you an example. I am a city kid. I am born and bred to be a city kid. I love concrete. I am not a big fan of nature. Trees, eh. Anyway, but the thing is this. The thought of going to Zambia and to spend time in the bush helping those who are suffering from the AIDS pandemic, the orphan children and the widows, it wasn't high on my bucket list. Honestly, as much as I love my wife Suzette, it wasn't on my list at all. But God used Suzette's passion and her heart for that ministry in Zambia to move mine, to move against my own. And, and, and though it may not be the source of my holy discontent, I know that God has placed this ministry in my life and brought me to use my skills and my giftedness to help those who have been called 
to serve in this ministry, to join with them to help them jump into the ministry, to use their giftedness for the sake of God's glory. Because you know, in this case, in my service in this ministry, I am not going because I feel passionate, but I'm going because I know there are others who do. And sometimes they just need a little bit of encouragement as a member of the body of Christ to go. Our vision as a church is to empower each and every single person here in this place. For, to empower us to discern how, ours, how for ourselves we are to live for God's glory. See, discernment comes when we come under the new management team of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Discernment comes when we bathe ourselves, when we immerse ourselves in the word, in the world of God. The second part that I mentioned earlier of our mission, understanding how we are called to live lives that glorify God, is to be affirmed. Is to be affirmed in what has been discerned by ourselves. Affirmed by the church. Affirmed by the fellowship of believers. This is the role of the body of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what happened to me in that 10-second video clip way back in San Francisco. I was affirmed by my church to come and say, yeah, this is where God's called me to serve. Now, here's the thing. Affirmation, it's not easy. It's not as simple as, you know, liking a Facebook post or pressing the heart on Instagram or something like that. Affirmation is, is not something that's meant for the extroverts to be able to do for everyone around us because they're the ones that like to talk to people. Ultimately, affirmation is the work and the expectation of the church as a whole. And we're doing it for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, Hebrews 10.24 tells us that, that we're supposed to stir up one another to love and good works. The work of affirmation is the work of the Christian in the context of the church. And this is why we're gathering together. This is why we encourage. This is how we affirm one another. And in verses 1 and 2, it does show how we are called to affirm each other and, uh, and be affirmed by each other. Verse 1, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in, in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, Moses points out to the Israelites, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do sacrifice. There's burnt offerings, there's, uh, there's grain offerings, there's, there's peace offerings, there's all these different types of offerings. And, and in Leviticus, it also spells out all the nuances of how those offerings, those sacrifices are supposed to be used. You know, who gets what, what types of animals were okay, what portions go to the priests, etc. The sacrifice in and of itself, as you read in Leviticus, you see that it wasn't simply the act of killing an animal or baking bread, slaying something on the altar. See, there were steps that were leading up to the sacrifice. There are steps within the sacrifice. There are even processes and act, uh, practices after the sacrifice. And so if you look at the sacrificial rituals of the Old Testament, you will see that there were multiple opportunities for obedience. And so I look at this phrase, living sacrifice. And what I see here are multiple opportunities for obedience based on our individual abilities, based on our individual giftedness within the church, at our jobs, 
among our friends, we have so many different spheres of influence where we influence, where we can obey God's call on our lives. So the call for us to be living sacrifice is a call for each of us to work together for the glory of the kingdom of God. To humble ourselves, to, to sacrifice my desires for God's desires, my wants for God's wants. And so as we present our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices to the one and only God, among our fellowship of believers, we are now as a fellowship, as a congregation called to test each other in our actions as living sacrifices to help affirm what we've discerned. Verse 2 in Romans 12 says this, Do not be conformed to the world, uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern the will of God. I used to work for a startup company back in San Francisco. And I remember there was a time as our software started gaining more popularity that different consulting firms would reach out and say, hey, do you have a certification program? Because we want our consultants to be deemed experts in your software. And so as one of the guys who helped design the software, it became my job to create a test uh, for others to be able to say, yes, this person is now certified in our software. Um, so basically, my job was to be able to uh, I tested other people to see, yes, they are blessed to train and use our software system. This is what Paul is saying to us. It's not a self-test. It's a test where others around us will be able to affirm what I've discerned as what my mission and my calling is. I come to the church we come to each other to affirm what we've discerned for ourselves. We need each other to be able to say, yeah, this is what God's called you to do. This is our role for the church. The church is called, this fellowship of believers, to affirm what has been discerned. Now, you know, as we come to closing, um, nearly done here, I just want to make a quick mention here. Affirmation Affirming giftedness, um, this is not the same thing as flattery, okay? Don't misunderstand. Gospel-centered affirmation of your sister or your brother's giftedness, it focuses on Jesus, on Christ, on the gospel. Human-centered flattery, that focuses on the individual. So complimenting somebody, that's that's kind of easy. Like, you look great. Well, that sermon was amazing. You're such a great drummer. Um, these are easy things to say. That's flattery. Not that you shouldn't say these things to anyone. Um, go ahead. That could be true. That's not what I'm asking for in affirmation, though. Affirmation is different. Affirmation takes effort. Affirmation takes time. So I want to look at two examples, and we'll close out today. Two examples of what affirmation looks like based on the writings of Paul. The first one is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. It says this, and I'm going to go through this a little bit quickly. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
The second example, and I'm going to break this down in a second, but Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6 says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, in both examples, the first thing Paul does is he thanks God for how the believers in Colossae and Philippi are using their gifts for God's kingdom. They're using their gifts for the gospel because God gets all the glory. That is our number one primary call. The second thing he does in both of these passages is that he points out what they're doing right. He points out how they discern their call and then affirms that discernment on each of their parts. In Philippi, they're standing fast and continuing to partner in the advancement of the gospel. In Colossae, they're trusting Jesus and they're loving the church with their giftedness. The last thing Paul points out is that the hope in the gospel, in the hope of Jesus, that's what is enabling everything that they are striving for. Affirmation, using Paul's formula, it focuses on God by pointing the right use of the gifts that he's, the skills he's given them for God, understanding that it is powered by God. Our vision as a church We want to see the gospel transform the beloved of God into spirit-filled disciples who, by equipping, first, equipping every single one of us to have a daily walk with Jesus, and second, by empowering every single one of us here to live out our mission as Christians. See, we want women, we want men who are, understand that they're, they're beloved of God because of Christ alone, who know God, who strive to know God, and ultimately who are able to discover and live out their calling, their mission here, especially for us in Wicker Park. The specifics of how you are called to live here in this place how you are to live lives that bring God all the glory, it requires you to take the time to discern, to take the time to perceive what your giftedness is, what your calling is, what your mission is, by being soaked in the gospel. And it requires you to affirm each other's giftedness, affirm each other's calling and mission by pointing one another to the Savior above. Will you pray with me as we close?